on today's episode. Go to church. That's that's where you're going to find that that family that is free from the fear and the worry of the world out there. You know, it's it's not that politics don't touch the church, and, and uh, but it's that this is your reminder that you are part of a people that you have a citizenship that is eternal and it's separate from this world and it's better than this world and that we are but aliens and strangers here. If you find yourself getting way too worked up, way too worried about what's going on politically or culturally in, in our society, um, yeah, go to the place where you can be reminded uh, that you're part of a great kingdom that is uh, infinitely greater than the world we live in. Welcome to the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. People today face many opportunities and struggles when it comes to issues of life and death, marriage and family, health and science. We're here to bring a fresh biblical perspective to these issues and more. Join us now for Life Challenges. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Krista Potratz, and I'm here today with pastors Bob Fleischman and Jeff Samuelson. Today, we are going to talk about Christian and citizen, the challenges. And where that really comes from is this idea that the the challenges that we face as Christian citizens and what we can think about in terms of our modern government and also in Scripture, too. And so when we think about us being like American Christians, what are particular challenges that we as Christians face in America today? And this is a question that we have have touched on in previous episodes too, but we really want to explore this question a little bit further. So Jeff, why don't you help us understand that a little bit more? Well, it's one of those cases where uh, something that is a blessing, something that most people would point to as a good, also comes with, with complications. We live in something that, although we're very used to it, is something of a unique thing in, a, in, in world history and, and in the you know, history of the church in that we have a representative democracy form of government. And within that, we have all sorts of freedoms, including the freedom of religion, freedom of, of speech, freedom of assembly, all, all sorts of things like that. And that means there are all sorts of things that we can do as Christians and we can do as the church in this country that would have been impossible under other governments and other areas of history and, and still are impossible in, in, in many places in, in the world. But that means that now there are trickier questions. When uh, St. Paul says in Romans to obey the governor, to obey the king, okay, that was pretty straightforward. We know who's in charge. That's the guy. We have to do what he says. Well, what about the situation where there's somebody that you consider to be practically evil who's in charge of your, the government here in the United States, and you didn't vote for him, and none of the people you respect voted for him, and he's telling you to do something that uh, you don't think is right. Well, suddenly that's a challenge because like, okay, well, he's the one in the position right now, but didn't 
since we elected him, doesn't that mean we're actually the authority here? And how much room does that give us then to disobey or to uh, take another route or something like that? And I'm not pretending that there's one simple answer to every one of those situations, but but there are variations of those that come up all the time where we don't just have freedoms, we also have responsibilities. And with that comes the difficult balancing act of, okay, to what extent am I acting as a Christian here? To what extent am I simply acting in my own self-interest? Because I have the freedom to do both here. And uh, that's something that's you know, fairly unique to us as American Christians. Balance is interesting, too. I mean, recently on the podcast, we talked about our vocations. So how can we balance, okay, like, you know, we are called to do this, but maybe if it doesn't line up with what we think it should as far as like politics or different things like that. You know, oftentimes with a political position in a representative form of government, a political position that you take represents your deeper inner being. You, you run because you're pro-life, and I believe in, in protecting the unborn. And it reflects your, your Christian convictions. It, re- it reflects an ideology that, that reflects biology, those kinds of things. And you stand on that. But then you walk into the political arena, and the political arena is a, a melting pot of philosophies and of how, how to govern a nation made up of a melting pot of people. And so you you talk about compromise, you know, and of course you say, how can you compromise on an issue like that? Well, comp- politics is oftentimes a realm of strategy, and we do that all the time. For example, when I used to live in Plymouth, Wisconsin, and my mom and dad lived in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, there used to be like four different ways that I could drive to their house pretty much, you know, in the same amount of time. But one was like through Milwaukee, one was on the edge of Milwaukee, one was out in the country and so forth. And it was a strategy. One was maybe safer, one was maybe a little bit faster, one was maybe a bit more scenic. So you use a strategy. And and the strategy might not, well, the strategy definitely would not be the same for all four of them. Well, a lot of times when you're running for politics, you look at why you got in in the first place. What's your motive? What What was your desire? When you get into it, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, it's going to require a strategy to get there. Now, in some environments, a stop your foot down, I'm not going to budge on this strategy might work. Terrorists bombed the two towers in New York. Uh, it was easy for every politician to stomp down. We're not going to tolerate this. We're going to take action. We're going to do this. And everybody's on the same page. So it was easy to do that. Now, when you start getting into the nitty-gritty of day-to-day life and how we're going to do that, you're going to find that sometimes you're going to have to choose a different path in order to get there. Some paths are longer. Some paths are slower. If you ever study the abolition movement of removing slavery from Great Britain, it was a painfully slow process. They basically regulated it out of business. But it worked. It worked, you know, and of course, could there have been faster ways? Should they have done a civil war to get it done? What People could debate those kinds of things, but sometimes when you walk into that arena, you've got to play according to the rules that are established. And even just for the average Christian who's a citizen of, of, of our nation, somebody says to them, maybe it's from a pulpit, maybe it's somebody on uh, social media, maybe it's a friend or a relative, well, if you're really a Christian, this is how you should vote. 
or you should take this position, you should, you should do this thing, you, you should pick it to this, you should, you know, whatever it is. And they're basically putting your vocation as a Christian out there and they're equating it with some part of your vocation as a citizen and saying, this is what you must do. Well, is it? And when we have to, to balance these things of, okay, well, yeah, you say I should show up at this protest, but you know what? I actually have to take my kid to soccer that day. So no, or no, I appreciate the position. I, I mostly agree with it, but I, I don't like your methods. I think your methods are, are unchristian. There are so many things here. And again, in other societies at other times in history, you simply wouldn't have had an option for many of these things that, that we have options for. Yeah, I think, too, one of the things that is hard is that there is this blanket Christian mentality, how you were saying, oh, you're a Christian, you should vote this way or do this thing. And I know, like, in previous episodes, I think Bob was saying, too, at one point, like, you didn't even really not like necessarily like want like, you know, the Christian government that a lot of people are trying to to put together because then you realize, well, hey, like a lot of those things I don't really agree with. And so that's just one of the things that I think is just hard in our society today, too, is because we are kind of told like, okay, as a Christian, you might agree with this. And then maybe when we start to really look at it, we, we, we don't. One of the common questions that we, we get, and we always get it usually in a four-year cycle close to a presidential election, is voting for a, a pro, pro-abortion candidate. Could you in good conscience vote for a pro-abortion candidate? There, There's a couple of ways to look at that. But first of all, look at it from the position of the candidate. You know, like right now, we've got candidates who are running for high offices who favor abortion rights. And we got those who are opposed to abortion rights. Biblically speaking, abortion is a big problem. It's a big problem. It's human life. It was a life that was created by God, redeemed by Christ. We are not given permission to take the life. We just aren't. So when you're a politician and you are are voting, I'm fully aware of the fact that there are politicians who claim to be Christian who will come out in favor of abortion rights. But the problem that you have is that one universal responsibility given to every Christian is to proclaim the truth. Now, that also requires you proclaiming the truth and saying, if I have to take a compromised position on this, then I better explain my reasoning. You may not agree with my reasoning. You may not agree with why I'm doing it, but I have to make sure that I don't ever give you the impression that God thinks abortion is okay. I might say that, okay, I'm going to vote for this bill even though it allows for abortion in cases that I'm not comfortable with, but I'm going to go for it because I think we can get it passed and we can protect some lives. But I'm going to tell you that I believe that a conception that's a human life, that it is not our prerogative to terminate that life just because we don't want it or we don't feel it's going to be the right health or what, or right gender or whatever. And people may not agree with you. People will... I've always lost sleep over Orrin Hatch. You know, Orrin Hatch was strong pro-life, and then he came I don't know if I am familiar. Okay, Orrin Hatch was a pro-life U.S. senator from Utah, and he was Mormon. Pro-life, and he was a pro-life darling. The pro-life movement always had Orrin Hatch speaking to National Right to Life conventions and stuff. And then he came out in favor of embryonic stem cell research. 
Now, I, I've always wondered what what his logic pattern was there. I, I never could find out, but he was just isolated from the pro-life movement just based on that. Now, at the same time, George W. Bush approved using existing embryonic stem cell lines for further research, but did not want more embryos destroyed under government-funded embryonic stem cell research. And so I've, I sometimes have wondered if Hatch was speaking in favor of using those 30, 30 cell lines or not, but it became very controversial, and everybody, because it wasn't the clean-cut pro-life position. And I sometimes wonder if Hatch had uh, said, well, I think it's an incremental step. You know, I think we want to get rid of it, but I think we got these existing lines, we should use it. My, my point is, is that if you, if you don't have the explanation, then I think your vote is open to a challenge. You know, when you are a Christian, you're saying, I think oh, we got to protect abortion rights and so forth. And you don't offer an explanation why you think that way. I'm fully aware of the fact that the, the, the mentality is that truly pro-life position is that we should take care of the hungry, take care of the sick. It's not an either or, which is what some politicians make it. I'm in favor of abortion rights and, and, but I, uh, I think we should be helping the hungry, feeding the poor, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I would think, too, it is a very complicated thing to, to go into politics, and there are all these different things. And, I mean, just to hear you talk about it, my mind kind of goes like, well, why would anyone want to ever do that? But, you know, we, we do need Christian people in in politics, too. So how does one really, like, balance it out? in a in a way that that pleases God no one answer for that it's, it's going to vary according to the person sometimes you've got somebody who doesn't really have much interest in politics but there's maybe just one issue that he speaks up on or she speaks up on and other people say we need you to run that may be the right thing to do in that moment other people by the time they're they're 12 they're like yeah I'm, I'm going to be a politician because I think I can make a difference. And they're naturally gifted for it. You know, every once in a while you, you come across people talking about somebody who just really has, has the gifts for it. They said that about Bill Clinton, that, that that was one of the reasons he was so successful. He just, you, somebody would talk to him and just be impressed just by, by his presence, so to speak. But so it's, it's going to be different for different Christians to whether or not they do that. But I guess one, clear answer we can say is that the position that some people might lean toward which is that no christian has any business running for public office that's that's not a correct one uh, we we need people in those positions as well and i would say not not even just in the elected office but even just in the government in, in, uh, in positions as well how else are you going to influence society in the way that we as christians want it to go unless you're actually somewhere near where the decisions are made and that doesn't mean that if you feel you are being called into public service it, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily being called to success uh, sometimes it's just going to be a matter of being that lonely witness uh, for the truth. How are worry and fear a challenge for Christians in their citizenship? Well, it has to do with the, um, you know, the things that we value. And if we get so focused on our existence in this world, 
we're going to we're going to be worried and we're going to be fearful of the things of this world that'll change and and I be, that becomes disabling a christian can't ever lose sight of where he is going and why he's going there it's because of what christ did for him so a christian always is, is eternally focused but you know in you know my, my problem is that in a in a representative form of government when you agree to run for office you're not agreeing to just stand on your principles. You're agreeing to be part of a representative body. You know, that's like me coming on to a, you know, a five-member board, five-member building committee, but we all better do it the way I want. When you agree to serve on a building committee, you know, you, you agree that we're going to have five voices and they're going to make decisions, and that's how you're going to do it. When you agree to, to be part of the House of Representatives, part of the U.S. Senate, even when you agree to be occupy the role of the presidency, you are still participating in a far greater realm of representation from a government. You still have to respect the other branches of government, and you, and you still have to follow. And that's and the problem is is that when Christians want to run for office and the pound on the table, stand for what's right, you know, type people, the populist populist type of a, a campaign you know, forum. The problem is is it fails to recognize you could never get onto a building committee with that kind of attitude. And and so what are you afraid of? What I would be afraid of is the friendly fire. I'm used to the other people who don't agree with me not liking me and say, but it's the friendly fire that's hard. When you when you sit down and talk to a, a Christian minded politician today, what are the things that are most painful for him? It's comments made by by friends from his church or you know by neighbors who normally like him, but they they think he should have been stronger. That you've gotten spineless. You've you allowed the position to go to your head. When I've talked to members of our own church body who've been in political office, they will talk about that too, and and how you know the people that you thought were going to be behind you don't understand. And, and even for just the everyday Christian, so to speak, worry and fear—you've got to be uh, on the lookout to the extent that those are things that are are motivating you or being used to try to motivate you the politician the populist the demagogue or, or whatever is like this thing that you've enjoyed for so long is being taken away from you so you must vote with me recognize that that's appealing to fear on your behalf it could be a legitimate worry but maybe just maybe this is a politician trying to manipulate you for your vote we've got to think about those things sometimes it's just the fear of change well, okay, maybe it's a bad change, so we should be opposed to it, but maybe it's just the change that naturally comes, and being opposed to it doesn't really make sense in this case. Maybe what we really need to do is just adapt to it. But it's it's also a challenge, not just in terms of the practicalities of whether you're going to get what you want from government, but it's a challenge to your faith. If you are allowing fear and worry to motivate you, that is not relying on the Lord to be in charge. Yes, we still have responsibilities to vote and to influence and you know do the work of Christian citizenship, but ultimately we trust that God will work all things out for our good. And if we vote for candidate A over candidate B because candidate A convinces us that the change that we're afraid of isn't going to happen if we elect him, but if candidate B is, then then the world's going to end. Yeah, we're probably letting worry or fear motivate us a little too much there. So then where is, as Christians, can we find our courage and confidence? We are all proclaimers of the truth. 
So you look to your heavenly leader. I, I always say inciting fear is a tactic to win an argument when logic or truth won't work. So if I can scare you, because emotion has an incredible way of trumping logic. You, you, will, you will fear things that don't logically make sense. So if, if, I, I, you know, if I'm a politician and, and I don't think I can convince you to logically go this direction, then I have to reframe it so that I can incite fear. I think, I think the abortion issue is a great example. Because how is abortion being characterized now since the Dobbs ruling? They are taking away your freedoms. They're going to, they're not going to stop there. They're going to go further and everything. See, what we do is we create, we create fear because we don't think logically we could still ever win the argument that it should always be okay to kill somebody if you don't want them. So we have to create fear. And that's the mentality that always seems to be doing. And I think we have to recognize that there is only, we're told to fear the Lord. And and that's that's where your fear begins. You don't fear the things of this world. What are they going to do? Kill you? You mean you think they can kill you outside of the providence of God? They can't touch you. And Jesus even said, even in death you will live. There's and so once once you recognize that you have nothing to fear, God God says, I'll take care of it. You just do my work. And um, but people do. They but people are you know people will tell you they're afraid to speak in public. They're they're afraid to stand up. They're afraid to sign a petition. They're afraid of their neighbor and everything. And we're all disabled by things that don't matter. I think it it is helpful, I think, to to connect with other Christians as well. And I remember it was maybe like in grad school or something, and I was talking to someone. And at, at that point, you know, you're not really sure what people are believing or not. And I remember one girl, you know, kind of mentioned going to church or something. And I remember like just kind of then jumping on it and like <laughs> feeling like, oh, like awesome. Yeah. I mean, I go to church too. And we could kind of talk. And then I knew a lot of times like, you know, if I'd bring up something, I mean, she kind of had similar beliefs or similar background around it. And so I I think sometimes, you know, just connecting with other people, it can can be a, a good thing too and and help that that fear to go away or if you can talk like with other people at your church i mean and and i understand like not everybody we don't agree on on everything but sometimes finding those people that are similar to you can can help yeah, and just kind of rephrasing much of what you just said Go to church. You know, that's that's where you're going to find that, that family that is free from the fear and the worry of the world out there. You know, it's it's not that politics don't touch the church, in, in, uh, but it's that this is your reminder that you are part of a people, that you have a citizenship that is eternal, and it's separate from this world, and it's better than this world, and that we are but aliens and strangers here. If you find yourself getting way too worked up, way too worried about what's going on politically or culturally in, in our society, um, yeah, go to the place where you can be reminded uh, that you're part of a great kingdom that is uh, infinitely greater than the world we live in. Well, and so much of, of Christendom was built on risk-taking, people willing to travel to faraway lands, people willing to proclaim a message that may not always be received. And when you when you look at the Christian community, your Christian community is not that helpful if they're constantly advising you, well, you don't want to create waves, you don't want to rock the boat, you don't want to. But when fellow Christians 
truly recognize that we've got this gospel proclamation mission and we can accomplish it through a government that gives us freedom. We'll use the freedom. We're not going to look for the government to do our job. Our job is to use the freedom. So if we think that freedom is going to be jeopardized, then we want to speak up for freedom. We want to get involved. We want to be part of it all. And now now some people say, well, then should the church be involved in voting campaigns and and nominating candidates and so forth? I think, I, I still think regardless of, you know, tax exempt status, all that kind of, you know, legal stuff that, that really shouldn't be the determining factor. I think the the real issue is that you want Christians engaged in the opportunities that they can grasp to accomplish the mission of the church. You want them to do it. And if you can do that running for office, then you run for office. If you can do that leafing, leaving cars in the parking lot, you leave cars. If you can do that by writing letters to the editor, then you do that. But the point is, is to... You've, you've got to be willing to take the risk. There's going to always be somebody. But you got to remember, too, one other thing I want to add is that sometimes we think, well, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to, you know, those policies, we're going to stand out there. We're going to make a big deal. You can't, you can't do that in a way that fails to make a bridge. If all you're going to do is build a wall, you got to remember that the wall you're building is isolating the people who need to hear the gospel. I listen to people get all zealous about politicians, and they're going to go to Washington, they're going to straighten them out, they're going to do all that. Those are not the people I want to vote for. I don't care if they have all of my positions at heart, because it, they, they marginalize themselves, and in doing that, they marginalize my vote. I want a politician that, that can work the system and has a clear vision for what he's trying to accomplish with uh, recognizing that I'm in the sandbox with a bunch of other people, and we got to play together. Is there anything else we should mention on this topic? Well, I do. Th- I do think we d- we should talk about a little bit about what is the role of the church realistically. So the role of the church is always to nurture nurture the believers to carry out the mission of the church. The role of the church is not to replace the believers in carrying out. The, the mission of the church, that, that assignment is to each individual Christian. And we are the collection. So we are to encourage one another when we gather together to get this work done. So when people ask me, well, should the church be out there? Should we be campaigning? Should we put you know signs out and so forth? Um, I should be encouraging you to use the opportunities God's given you to make the truth known. But, but to be honest, as the church, your door has to be open to the, sometimes the very people that you're trying to run against. You know, if if you're if you're standing on a strong platform that's pro-life, you know, pro-traditional marriage and everything, please don't forget that the people on the other side of the issue, that's the mission field. Those are the people that want to feel welcomed in your church someday. And right now, they don't get where you are. They don't understand your motivations. They don't understand how your faith connects to that position. And you've got to give them time. And you're not going to do that by characterizing your church as being, oh, they're the ones who are against everything and so forth, because then no one's going to want to talk to the pastor or, or to anybody who identifies as a member. It's not just the outside world. It's many of the people inside the church as well. It's probably not hard to think of somebody in your church, staunch members, mom and dad, and daughter or son goes off to college and comes back, and uh, he no longer shares the values that he was raised in. And if he comes back and all he sees is the church staking out this, what he sees is this extreme position on something, 
well, you've lost your chance to continue to minister him and fold him into the flock where he can be influenced back the right direction. But if instead he sees a place where different ideas are treated with respect and uh, there is not this sense of rah, rah, we've got to support the guy in office or up on that stage, there's a greater chance that that's going to turn out the way you want it to turn out. I think in the end, the church's role is to encourage its members to be actively involved. Beyond that, you preach God's word, proclaim scripture, follow through on Hebrews 5 and 6 on building them up, nurturing them in the faith so that they can start to decipher between good and bad, right and wrong, so that they can make intelligent choices. Uh, Whenever the church starts issuing decrees, it it sometimes sounds to me like, you're kind of stupid, so we're going to make the decision for you. A little bit of a cornerstone of what we do at CLR. We, you know, scripture is clear on some issues. Other issues, you got to dig deeper to get into, you know, ferreting out uh, truth from lies and so forth. But in the end, we try to let the truth speak for itself. We don't want you to follow that position because it's the position of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod or it's the position of the church or it's the position of CLR. But in the end, you've got to ultimately always be asking yourself, what would God have me to do? And mm-hmm. where we come down on it. Yeah, no, and I think that is just such a great uh, reminder, too, to always, I mean, even when we are going to differ with people on things, um, to always be loving and respectful and remembering how we want to build that bridge. So I think that's great. Well, thank you both for this wonderful discussion, and thank you to all of our listeners, and we look forward to seeing you back next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. Please consider subscribing to this podcast, giving us a review wherever you access it, and sharing it with friends. We're sure you have questions on today's topic or other life issues. Our goal is to help you through these tough topics, and we want you to know we're here to help. You can submit your questions as well as comments or suggestions for future episodes at lifechallenges.us or email us at podcast at christianliferesources.com. In addition to the podcasts, we include other valuable information at lifechallenges.us, so be sure to check it out. For more about our parent organization, please visit christianliferesources.com. May God give you wisdom, love, strength and peace in Christ for every life challenge.